good afternoon. Um, as we already know, uh, the Cybersecurity Week in Luxembourg is an unmissable event for information security experts, innovators, investors, and decision makers. The Cybersecurity Week, organized in the frame of the European Cybersecurity Month, is a great occasion to make awareness about cybersecurity and to share best practice with you. The ABBL does not miss this great meeting by organizing again this year, uh, this event with Mrs. Jelena Zelenovic, Senior Unit Head, Operational Risk and CISO from the European Investment Bank. The theme of this, of this event this year is, is mitigating, mitigating risk during and after COVID-19. For a reason of convenience and efficiency, we are asking you, asking you to respect uh, the following operational instructions. So please mute yourself when not speaking. Please avoid using the camera um, when you are not speaking. And to take the floor, please request it um, to the moderator via chat. And please introduce yourself when speaking. So, Jelena, I give you the floor. Thank you. Thank you very much, Antoine. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here and uh, connecting to this event, important event for all of us. Um, my name is Elena Zelenovic Maton. I'm being introduced uh, by Antoine, and I'm the CISO of EIB, European Investment Bank. Um, so, perhaps we can go on the next slide, Antoine. So, to begin with, I always like to use this picture from when I was in Israel uh, last year attending a cybersecurity conference, something that we cannot do this year at all in person. Uh, so we are reminiscing, I guess, the old times when we could travel with this picture. Um, but the reason for this picture is that there is this uh, cyber horse behind me. And this is a piece of work created, uh, and I got very impressed, with uh, thousands of infected computer and cell phone components. And what it essentially does is it illustrates increasing use of malware in making cyberspace a hostile environment. And I liked it because, like its namesake, it conceals the bad news and waits for the doors to open. It's a very, very significant picture for me. So I always like to start with this. So maybe we can go to the next slide, Antoine. Um, so we... We, we look at all the things that are happening, and some, one of the things that I truly believe uh, that we need to do, all of us, not just in cybersecurity practice, but in general uh, as a society, we, um, we need a paradigm shift. Um, when we look at, let's say, um, it, has, it, it takes time to get used to basically to new ways of thinking, and it definitely takes time for users to understand how to act in a more secure manner. So I put here, like, some of the... Some of the descriptions of this, just so we understand, basically on the seatbelt, some states adopted laws in the 60s and some in the 80s. And the same applies to cybersecurity. It took decades to change people's thinking when you look at that uh, for the seatbelts in regards to now what we think is a simple control of seatbelts. So we shouldn't expect that the behavior of a cybersecurity awareness and uh, how people react and behave in certain situations is something that will be implemented immediately. So for the next slide, um, 
I just would like to go a bit into financial institutions and some of the cyber attacks targeted towards them. And basically, why we go into financial institute sector? It, it, for the simple reason that I would say it's one of the most targeted sectors due, due to its reliance on information and its role in the credit intermediation process. And among cyber attacks, data breaches and fraud are perhaps the most popular ones. Um, yet disruption, uh, disruption is also significant on this uh, slide. But uh, nevertheless, fraud accounts perhaps when I was reading through, uh, through this, um, this research, it accounts for 43% of the events. Um, which also says a lot about how much and how hard we have to work in our practices to protect the financial uh, organizations uh, nowadays. So for the next slide is just to outline basically, um, outline the most targeted industries. And this is from the second quarter of uh, 2020. What's interesting to note here is the 18% the for financial institutions. So they take this uh, second, uh, second line here that I put with the red arrow. Um, now for the next uh, next slide, uh, some of the attacks that were forecasted for 2020 uh, for financial institutions as well again are uh, attacks against Libra at Gram, the successful launch of cryptocurrencies and uh, Lib as Libra and Gram might lead to the worldwide spread of this type of asset, which naturally will attract the attention of the criminals. And given the serious surge in cyber criminal activity during the rapid growth of Bitcoin and altcoins in 2018, there was a prediction, basically, that a similar situation will most likely unfold around the Gram and Libra. And there are some large plays in the market that we should all be careful of, uh, as there are a number of APT groups, uh, such as Wild Neuron and Lazarus, whose interests include crypto assets. Then we look at the reselling bank assets, uh, access. This is something that's not just this year forecasted. I mean, during 2019, we witnessed cases where groups who specialize in targeted attacks on financial institutions basically appeared in the victims' network after the intrusions by other groups that specialize in selling the VNC access. Um, and uh, strangely enough and uh, scary enough that, is that these facts were also confirmed by the underground forums and chat monitoring. So it's nothing surprising that we should expect the same threats in 2020, uh, especially, especially being reported that they will be coming from Asian regions, African, as well as Eastern European regions. Uh, then ransom, uh, ransomware attacks against banks, nothing new again. Uh, I, I mean, this probably follows the logic from the previous one that we mentioned uh, above, and the small financial institutions often become the victims of opportunistic cyber criminals. Then we have um, the return of custom tooling, measures uh, taken by antivirus products to effectively detect open source tools used for pen test purposes and the adoption of the latest cyber defense technologies will perhaps push cybercrime actors to return to custom tooling in 2020 and also invest in new Trojans and exploits. Uh, we've seen a lot now with uh, also COVID, uh, COVID uh, exploits uh, nowadays. Um, then global expansions of mobile banking Trojans, result of leaked source, uh, nothing that we have not uh, heard before as well, but also for this year. Investment apps on the rise. This definitely uh, will be more popular among users around the globe. And this 
this trend basically will also not go, go unnoticed by cyber criminals in 2020. Uh, given the popularity of some of the fintech companies and exchanges, uh, both for real and virtual money we are talking here, cyber criminals will realize that not all of them are prepared to deal with the massive cyber attacks as some of the apps will still lack the basic protection for customer accounts and will not perhaps offer the two-factor authentication or certificate planning to protect app communication. Um, then we have mega karting. Um, this one, uh, even more attackers uh, uh, will come to this. Uh, over the past couple of years, we know that JS skimming, JavaScript skimming, has gained an immense popularity among attackers. And unfortunately, cyber criminals now have a huge attack surface that consists of these vulnerable e-commerce websites and extremely cheap, this is what they have advantage, they're extremely cheap JS skimmer tools available for sales on various forums some starting at $200, basically. Uh, so it's not hard to get hold of those. Poli and then we have political instability. Um, well, at any point of time, we see that some countries experience political and social, uh, social upheaval, resulting in masses of people seeking refugee status in other countries. Um, these waves of immigration include basically all sorts of people, including people who are in cyber, in cyber criminal activities. Um, so this phenomenon will result in a spread of geographically localized attacks in countries that have not previously been affected by them. Then if we go to the next slide, uh, some of the cyber attacks, the current trend that we see, as I mentioned before, we see a lot of COVID-19 threats multiplied and diversified in their nature. We saw the rise in coronavirus dedicated website. Um, coronavirus safety measures, uh, fake Red Cross and uh, WHO impersonators. And unfortunately, it seems like these attackers have no limits. When I say unfortunately, we've seen many times that hospitals are being hit globally with this. So now for the next slide. Uh, slide. Um, so some of the changes I just wanted to outline to CISO job description since uh, COVID-19. It's not that it's hugely changed, but uh, there are some changes and or I guess some of the factors or matters that we have concentrated more during this time. And definitely these are ex extraordinary times and there are many ways that the world has changed over these few months or half a year or so already. Um, and we all used to assume that shortage of skills, the uh, impact of emerging technologies, um, uh, the role of cybersecurity in presidential elections around the world uh, all play important role uh, in cybersecurity, and they still do, definitely. But until we face the new, call it invisible enemy of the world, COVID-19, and one can now simply say that the world has changed, and obviously with that, our roles had to change a bit. And uh, this is for sure becoming our new status quo, uh, either as practitioners in this field or other people who are using uh, digital tools every day, and we all do. Um, and uh, there's, there's an obvious one, which is the reason why CISOs are busy these days. Definitely, we realize the importance of securing remote, remote users even more so than uh, the days before the COVID. The mandates to get employees up and running fast and then addressing security afterwards was probably the situation we were all in. Um, and I talked to my peers, they felt the same way uh, during the COVID, when COVID started. Uh, basically, it forced security teams to work uphill to catch up, meaning ad hoc risk assessments, uh, 
plenty of them to look for new tools, uh, better ways to communicate virtually, uh, compliance to some of the uh, things like uh, SWIFT uh, and control adjustments, importance of working together with your DPOs uh, and IT security teams, as well as sharing information with your peers from other organizations has become extremely important during this time. It's always been important, but I think this made us realize much faster how important this was. <clears throat> Then we go maybe to the next slide. Um, so people say, what options do we have? Uh, I would like to just say before we go on with the options and best, uh, some of the best practices is that basic information security hygiene is the prerequisite for preventing any type of cyber attacks, including the most sophisticated like APTs. And implementing advanced detection, investigation, and analysis processes that you can think of will not be effective if a mature Basic security hygiene is not in place. So we go uh, and we look at uh, some effects of COVID in our first 30 days that we have dealt with. Some immediate challenges for sure were for, uh, for a lot of our peers as well, identity, visibility, fraud, etc. cetera. Um, and after pandemic was declared and how have uh, and those and those have changed indeed after pandemic has been declared. And first thoughts, I can say from our experience and experience of my peers that I talked to and they went through everybody's minds for ensuring this business continuity without any bigger showstoppers to say. And first and most included health of our staff, then coming back to ensuring equipment for the staff, remote access to critical applications, uh, dealing with printing, digital signature, I'm just trying to think of all the ideas that we had at the beginning, various other IT requests that each specific team needed to ensure this business uh, continuity. And important to mention is also ensuring during this time compliance with all remote requests. So we didn't have a lot of time to think about that in the initial actions during the crisis. Nevertheless, we all understood how important that was. Um, awareness monitoring, I cannot stress enough, uh, and the constant improvements with users, looking what is happening around, monitoring it, uh, trying to put users to train them, um, increasing these awareness trainings and tailoring them to the current situations was extremely important. Um, critical to note also, again, uh, close relationships with IT security DPOs, peers, on what they're doing, what are the best practices that they found working for them. And then we say, after all of that, we could uh, kind of settle down a bit and settle with this caveat that I would say um, uh, as our business as usual must still continue with awareness monitoring improvements, uh, deal with user requests for new tools. A perfect example was uh, Zoom video conferencing issues that we had at the time that uh, a lot of people had to cut out from their uh, operations because of the security flaws that they had. Um, then we go to the 60 to 180 days. Uh, there was a state of ambiguity where we might initially be facing more on the operational risk side. I say that because we think of psychological impact to people that were being tied to homes, depending on intranet for any social interaction, people being able to cope with telework, housework, children. Um, so your concentration would tend to be lower and hence you could, as an end user, fall into more phishing traps and malicious websites. Um, and indirect cyber risks here, I would say also resource and backups for those who are taking time off, who basically cannot just deal with uh, housework and everything and at the same time uh, dealing with, uh, with work. So this was also extremely important for us. Uh, COVID future, well, none of us 
don't, none of us have this crystal ball, as I say, but we know we are in the new status quo and it will never be, the world will never be the same again. Um, and here we must more than ever think of maintenance of cyber hygiene from very basic ones to monitoring and keeping up to date with requirements, official updates, and best practice, practices that are ever evolving here. Um, given that internet definitely became the only way that we effectively interact with other humans, be it for family reasons or work reasons. Um, and this future, I would say, is not so bad. Uh, I think it might cause a number of innovations, actually. Um, right, uh, raise the eyebrows about obsolete technology and push us to go forward with the newer technologies. Um, perhaps we, will, we would come there, but this pushed us. Uh, to get there faster. Um, indeed, we might have an issue with slow-paced cybersecurity as things move forward, and we, we might definitely end up chasing after new innovations and protecting with, uh, with time lag between innovation and cybersecurity and cyber attacks that are happening around there. Um, and interesting to note, perhaps the cyber insurance might gain more popularity in the, within the organizations here. Um, so on the next step, uh, next slide, we have some of the steps to design security risk mitigation. So for me, I would say be on the lookout, monitor industry news, um, as well exchange information with peers and other organizations, develop your countermeasures by reviewing the risk factors that are involved within your organizations. This is where plenty of our on-the-fly risk assessments definitely come these days. And once a potential threat has been identified, we can then determine what risk potential counter uh, risk uh, pot uh, these countermeasures uh, are appropriate? Which ones should we apply here, basically? And train staff. This is perhaps, again, as I said, I cannot stress enough how important it is to train your staff. Uh, we constantly basically need to remind ourselves that our staff is the first line of defense uh, when it comes to identifying anything that could harm business assets. Um, so on the next one, some of the, without naming any technologies, I guess, or having it specific for my organization or my peers' organization, some of the tools that would be very good and important to look at are endpoint detection and response. Um, it would allow you to detect potential security breaches and react quickly, rec uh, recording the endpoint and network events. And the uh, data is continuously searched, basically using uh, known indicators of compromise and machine learning techniques for this early identification of breaches. Um, you can go to the next slide, Antoine. I, or, okay, yeah, that's the slide. Um, user and entity behavioral analytics that provide us basically with the user-centric analysis alongside information about network endpoints and applications. Then testing security for DevOps, um, having basically something automated, transparent, and let's say also a very important compliant configuration of underlying security infrastructure based on your policy your organization might have or not, uh, if not, should be developed. Remote browsing also could be of a high value by addressing malicious malware delivered via email or, or uh, various URLs or websites. And, Basically, what it does is it isolates the browsing function from the endpoint and organization's network, and it would reduce the surface area for an attack, shifting basically the risk to server sessions. And then deception tools, um, creating fake vulnerability systems, shares, and cookies to, uh, to tempt attackers to at attack a different side of your organization. And then for the next slide, some of the strategies to defend an a APTs. 
Um, well, APTs, we all know, are definitely complex attacks consisting of, of uh, many different components as uh, penetration tools, uh, network pro propagation mechanisms, spyware, but they're all designed with one objective in mind, undetected access to sensitive information. And the scary part is that a lot of people uh, think that they have to be big government agencies to become a victim. And that's not the case. They try with everybody. So some of the things here that I put as best practice uh, to keep in mind against the APTs and when we talk about uh, basic cybersecurity hygiene is uh, application whitelisting. Have it within your organization's governance around preventing malicious software in an approved program basically. Uh, patch the applications such as web browser, PDF viewers, Flash, um, restrict administrative privileges to operating systems and applications based on user duties, and uh, patch operating system vulnerabilities on time. And then next one, uh, here I have Hello. Hello. Yeah, Janina, you can continue. Sorry. Um, <laughs> here I have added basically a lot of uh, a lot of suggestions, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but they are nevertheless equally important to have it in the organization. So look for certifications when you depend on the third-party vendors, providers. Uh, uh, so in retail, we would think of PCI, DSS, uh, healthcare, HIPAA, in military, ITAR. Um, but look for the certifications, uh, SOC 2, Type 2 reports, Type 1 reports, um, uh, to ensure that whoever is your provider, you are only as strong as your weakest uh, link. Um, then due diligence can help you with the vendors that might require in terms of controls and monitoring, defining data ownership, stewardship requirements. Um, so we can go to the next slide because I'm not going to talk about every one of them, but they're equally definitely important. Uh, then we have um, phishing simulations, uh, extremely important during the COVID time at least, and even after the COVID time with new threats that will be coming up. Uh, we know that cyber criminals don't sleep. Um, the one that I would like to outline here is GDPR. One that I put in organizations could be fine, for, finally, for not planning and implementing technologies with data protection as priority. And we see that the first time we have regulation that imposes the prioritization of security over financial benefits. So kudos that they put it in for all of us who work in this. I mean, it's still too early to claim that this kind of regulation will change organizational attitudes towards uh, cybersecurity basics um, and that we will not witness in the future high-impact bugs such as the hard bleed. But it's something to begin with, I say. Um, so we can go to the next slide. Uh, so new outlook. Um, I like to say, and I know it's in a perfect world, it's uh, easy to say, it's not easy to implement, but I think that all of us, many of us, are probably going and leaning towards the zero trust as much as possible. Um, and more user awareness trainings, definitely, dependency on your peers and best practices, institutions such as 30U to aid in uh, threats and give heads up, something that uh, I can say EU institutions have been lucky enough to deal with uh, 30U on all the helps. Um, and BCP testings on regular base, uh, basis, uh, we have seen now with COVID that this is extremely important uh, to update and include the lessons learned and monitor closely and more than ever each day and what evolution it brings in our cyber world and, of course, mandatory teleworking period as a new norm for everybody. Um, 
And it's exciting, and to say it will keep us busy. It's a big learning curve, not just for our profession, but for everyone out there. Uh, we can go to the next slide. Um, so I'm going now into just um, regular um, preparing for exit. So a lot of our, a lot of us depend on the vendors, and some of the things that we need to also start doing more, if uh, we haven't started already, is these regular exit simulations. Um, Look at the data, export data, test usability of data from your vendors on an on a annual basis, exit strategy, uh, moving house or other service provider. So exercise, look at the benefits of what you're getting uh, from the vendors and exercise the rights that you have. Also very important is that you have these clauses in your, in your uh, contracts that you're allowed to do such things. And this I already put up in the, in the suggestions of best practices. So um, you can move to the next slide on the wrap-up, and I hope you're still all with me. Um, is that basically here, um, uh, I try to go more global. I try to go a little more in detail on some of the best practices that you should look uh, in a lean towards in our organizations. And um, I read somewhere recently about uh, what U.S. officials from the U.S. Secret Service and FBI stated this year and at that speech, they said um, that the speed at which criminals are devising and executing their schemes is truly breathtaking, and it's scary to hear that. And as more devices are connected to Internet of Things, the more we will face the issues we already have talked about. So that's why I say if we don't have those, that basic cybersecurity hygiene, we will be in problems for anything else new and more advanced that comes our way. Um, and here also I would like to say that uh, peer information, exchange of information is very important. And what's more important, and it's not something that will happen so fast, is the international coalition that needs to be created between governments. They seriously need to uh, think about the economic, political, and human challenges when we see COVID now that are definitely not even coming our way. They're, uh, they're right here as we speak. So that's it. Uh, that is the presentation. Thank you, Jelena.